Please open with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. As you make your way there, allow me to introduce our topic here uh, this morning. According to a University of Arizona, a recent study found that on average, people speak around 16,000 words a day. It's a lot of words. Uh, there are other studies that, that show that the uh, difference between men and women, we're not going to get into those, but obviously men speak a lot, or women speak a lot more than, than men. Now, out of those 16,000 words on average, right, only a fraction, they say up to about 1,000 words, are of actual value. In other words, how do they define value? Words that have the intent to communicate to another person something of importance to both. So most of our words that we speak are of what they would say of no real value. Now, I don't know how they came up with these statistics, how they got to that average, whether they followed a few people and calculated all of their words. It's really hard. I don't know about the accuracy of the report. But what I am convinced of is the, the accuracy of what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37. Words matter because for every single word, we will give an account. Not for just that 1,000 words, but for the 16,000 or so that we utter every single day. The passage before us here in verses 33 through 37 comes as a result of the words that Pharisees spoke and the words that they used to insult Jesus and to smear his reputation in front of the people. In verse 22, if you have your Bibles open, please look with me at verse 22. We see a miracle. They saw a miracle. A demon-possessed man was healed. But instead of worshiping God, instead of acknowledging Jesus as King and as Lord, they credited this wonderful work of mercy to Satan, telling the crowds here in verse 24 that Jesus did this miracle by the power of Beelzebul. And with that, Jesus then says in verses 31 and 32, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so in response in this context here, 33 through 37, Jesus condemns their speech and says they will never be forgiven. Now, here's the issue that Jesus reveals for us in these words. That the words that Pharisees uttered did not sentence them to eternal condemnation. The words that they uttered did not sentence them. Their words only exposed the person who was already condemned. The words only revealed what was inside of a person, what was inside their heart. Because tongue is always tied to the heart. That's what we read in James chapter 3. I want us to read beginning with verse 30 of Matthew 12, and we'll jump into these verses. Jesus, 
in defending his kingship, he says this, he who is with me, he who is not with me, verse 30, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Wow. Strong words. Here's what we have for us this morning as we look and unpack these verses. Here is the big idea. Your words display your heart. Your words display your heart. So the solution then to a mouth that speaks evil is a repentant heart that values Christ. Your words, they reveal what's inside. And so if what's revealed is nasty, if what revealed is evil, then your only solution to your depraved tongue is a heart response, is a repentant heart that honors and values Christ. And so we're going to unpack this in these verses. In the midst of addressing the Pharisees slandered against him, Jesus, he teaches us an important lesson. He says that our words, they manifest what we are like. And that is very terrifying. There is nothing that shows, friends, our need for grace like the use of our mouth. So there are lessons here that we must learn as we observe his warning to the Pharisees. I want you to notice something here in these verses 30 through 37. There's sort of a sandwich here. Look what he says in in verse 31. He says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. And then look at verse 33. Whoever speaks a word, Whoever speaks a word. So he points to their speech. He points to their mouth. And then he goes in verse 36 and 37 and he says, but I tell you every careless word, verse 37, for by your words you will be justified or condemned. So there are words here at the beginning and words here at the end. But what is the heart of the matter? The center is the heart. The center is the heart. Look at verses 34 and 35. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil? The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which you value and treasure is what he's saying. So words are never divorced from the heart. If you need to deal with your words, if your words reveal you to be evil, then you must deal with the source. 
And so there are three simple lessons that we want to unpack this morning. Number one, your words display your heart. Number two, your words declare your values. And your words disclose your destiny. Your heart, your values, and your destiny. Let's look at one at a time. Verse 33, the first thing we see in this verse is a challenge that Jesus offers to the Pharisees. And then at the end of this verse, he sort of offers them a proverb or a parable. He calls the Pharisees to basically give up their double standard and make a decision regarding him. He challenges them. He calls them out to make up their mind. When they saw the possessed man who was blind and mute, and now he's able to see and speak, right? They did not deny his power. They said, yes, absolutely, this man is here. We can't deny his power. He is healed. They only denied the source of his power. Listen, these Teachers, they're not dumb. They're not stupid. They knew that sickness, disease, demonic possession, and sin, they come directly from Satan. On the other hand, they also know that healing, casting out demons, and and forgiveness comes from God. So Jesus here challenges them, and he says, either make the tree good or make the tree bad. Either approve me with my deeds. You can't separate those two. They have to come as a package, right? Either approve me with my deeds or condemn me altogether with my deeds. You need to deny what just happened, basically. You're not denying what happened. You're only denying the source. Stop it. Don't say, you know, his deeds are good, but he is evil, right? Because either Jesus is inherently good with all of his deeds or his inherently evil with his deeds. You can't have that double standard. So Jesus here in verse 33, he is forcing the Pharisees to consider his actions and see that his actions reveal something about him, his heart. Your actions, your words, they demonstrate who you are on the inside. And Jesus here asks, consider, don't be so quick, consider who I am. And now he offers them a proverb at the end, for the tree is known by its fruit. For the tree is known by its fruit. Here's the point, your words display your heart. Your, word, your words are the fruit. And, and the tree is who you are deep down inside your heart. The, the way to evaluate then someone's heart is by what it produces because nature and deeds, they, they're inseparable. They come together. It's one package. You have apple trees growing. You expect to gather apples, right? Who Jesus is must be determined by what he says and does regardless of how you feel about him. Regardless of your personal feelings, Jesus' words and works, they reveal his true nature. And he wants them, he challenges them here to discern. Don't be so quick to deny me. Think about who I am. Think about my heart. And I want you to consider this, that Christ's words and their actions, his actions, they display the good nature. Christ's words, what he just did, what his action, what he just performed here, they displayed that Jesus is a good tree. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 9. Flip back to Matthew chapter 9 
And, and, and look what verses uh, 12 and 13 What Matthew writes here, but when Jesus heard this, he says, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here we see that Jesus is a physician whose heart is full of care and mercy. Therefore, as a result of who he is, he seeks out sinners in order to heal them. And that's been Matthew's intent to show the heart of Christ, to show who Jesus is. Later on in verses 34 and 36 of the same chapter, chapter 9, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus here is portrayed to be that shepherd whose heart is again full of compassion. Therefore, he goes out. Therefore, he preaches. So he teaches and heals everybody. He does because of who he is, because of the disposition of his heart. If you flip to chapter 11 of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we studied these verses a few weeks ago, and Jesus calls out to the crowds, and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is the Savior, whose heart is gentle and humble. Therefore, he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. You see, what's driving Jesus is his nature, is who he is, is who's, what he's filled with to do what he does. And if you make our way back to chapter 12 of Matthew, um, verse 18, here we see in this quote from Isaiah 42, Jesus is the servant whose heart is humble. Therefore, he says he is patient and therefore he is caring. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Why is Jesus dealing so patiently and humbly with sinners? Well, it's because of who he is. That's what he's filled with. And so he challenges these Pharisees here. Back in our context, Jesus here, he says, think about this. Because I am caring, merciful, compassionate, gentle, and humble, that is why I heal this man who's been dominated by evil forces. And by healing this man, Jesus, in fact, demonstrates that he is the anointed of God. He is the long-awaited king. His words, his actions, they display his heart. His fruit is good because the tree is good, because the root is healthy. That's why. One pastor said this, what? What's uh, down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What was down in Jesus' well? Mercy, compassion, kindness, love, but not so with the Pharisees. Their, their well, right, it is filled with a different substance. And that's why he goes on in verse 34, and he points the difference. He contrasts himself with the Pharisees. 
Pharisees' words and actions, these bad fruits, they display the evil nature of their hearts, unlike Christ. In their blasphemy, the Pharisees, they reveal their hearts. In front of people, friends, they want to look good. They, they can't help themselves and their slanderous words when it comes to this confrontation with Christ. Because what's down in the well always comes up in the bucket. Jesus had told them to speak up and to admit what was obvious here. Speak up. Look at my actions. Look at my words. And and so as I read this, there's almost like, I feel like maybe Jesus even pauses between verse 33 and 34. He says, he challenges them and says, make it, pronounce. Tell me who, tell the crowds who I am. And then it's almost like seeing the hardness of their heart. Jesus pronounces, right? Because of the evil of their heart, he pronounces this condemnation again in verse 34. You brood of vipers. Because they would not admit who Jesus is. Brood of vipers. Generation of snakes, basically. Or offspring of snakes, some of your translation might say. And Jesus here intentionally uses another word for a snake than he used in 1016. Remember when he told his disciples, hey, be shrewd or be wise as serpents, be wise as snakes. Remember that? Here he uses a completely different word to highlight not the wisdom and the shrewdness of a snake, but its deception, its danger. This was carefully selected name that revealed the Pharisees' true character because it it suggests this idea of extreme danger. But what was so dangerous about these Pharisees? Well, they were very deceptive in their teaching, right? Because it was deadly to the spiritual health of those who listened to them. They, in fact, as they are doing here, they're turning people away from Christ. They don't want anyone to follow Christ. In Matthew later on, Jesus will condemn them even more in Matthew 23, 15, where he'll tell them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. So these men here, they are identified with a different father. When you read here, you brood of vipers, you almost gather this this allusion to the Garden of Eden, right? About another snake that deceived Adam and Eve. And when Jesus highlights them as the sons, right, he, he basically tells them, you belong to another father. You are not like me. And that is why you continue to point people away from me. The problem with the Pharisees is not that they just slipped up here and misspoke when they said, oh, he heals by the power of Beelzebub. That wasn't a slip up. The problem is that they had evil, unrepentant hearts. That's why this rebuke 
is so strong. Jesus is performing miracles before the people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of the uh, people here who are observing, they're beginning to believe in him, but the Pharisees, the Pharisees dare to attribute his miracles to Satan in effort to discourage people from believing in Christ. And yet they themselves, they have an outwardly pious and righteous and holy appearance. Because like poisonous snakes, right? They look beautiful on the outside, but are deadly and venomous on the inside. You would not have been able to tell by looking at the Pharisees only by what you hear them proclaim. In Romans 3, Paul later on, he speaks of this hidden sinfulness of our hearts, of of every human heart. And he says, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The Pharisees, friends, they have a heart problem. But not only the Pharisees, this is the problem of all humanity. Of all humanity, because... Centuries before Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 17:9, and he says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? And if a heart is desperately sick, what do you think is going to come out of that heart? Sickness. Our problem isn't primarily bad friends or our bad influences, or too much temptation. Sorry, I was just tempted, and that's why I spoke, or misspoke. I was squeezed too hard, and that's why just stuff came out, you know? Our problem is not that. Our problem is sinful heart that would not accept Christ. The only possible way for men to speak well of Jesus is to have their hearts transformed first and foremost. And then they will confess. Then they will speak well of Jesus. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The heart change must happen first. You must believe and repent, and then the confession comes out. They don't. They don't confess, they malign, they insult. Your words display your heart. What do your words, friends, display about you? Think about this. Like Pharisees, we can work really, really, really hard to look good on the outside, but ultimately if our hearts are not transformed by God's grace on the inside, the truth will inevitably come out. The heart is the root and our language is the fruit. And one of the questions that we can ask in order to identify what it is, is what is our attitude towards Christ today? How do we speak of him? Because that's really the context here. 
The context is how do you speak of the son of God? How do you speak of the one who comes to proclaim God's mercies and grace? Do you accept him? Do you speak well of him? Do you believe in him or do you refuse and do you turn away from him? That is what the immediate context says. God gives us speech by which we test because that which we which feel fills our heart, always comes out. That's verses 33 and 34. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That's it. Whatever is in the well will come up. Your words display your heart. That is the problem. But in verse 35, Jesus here identifies a principle that gets even deeper at the issue that Jesus here addresses with these Pharisees. And that is next. Number two, your words declare your values. Look what he says here. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Jesus here says that a person's heart is a a treasure house. It's a storehouse. This word here, treasure, right, is the word from which we get the word thesaurus, the bank or the storehouse of words. You want to look up a synonym for something, you go to thesaurus.com and you punch in your word and it gives you a ton of different words. It's a bank, it's a storehouse of words. What you bring out of that storehouse depends on what's in the storehouse. This is very important. Think about this. What you bring out of the storehouse depends on what, what's in the storehouse. But what you store in that storehouse depends on what you value. It depends on your value system because you store that which you treasure. You store that which you value. Your storehouse is filled with things that you hope for, that you love, that you believe in. That's what's inside. I think the beginning of verse 35 here, it ultimately describes Jesus Christ. He's still comparing himself with the Pharisees. And look what he says, the good man. And right away we're thinking, who is this good man? Well, it's this good man who just brought out some good things out of his heart, out of his treasures, right? Jesus Christ here is the one who loves his father and values him above all else. And therefore, he brings out of his storehouse that which is good. His, his heart, his treasures are filled with love for his father. So his deeds and his words are always pleasing to him. Think about this. He comes to earth. He cares for sinners. He preaches the gospel to them. He forgives their sins because he values the father's plan that was set in motion before the foundation of the world. He values that. He looks at this demon-possessed man in chapter 12 and he heals him. Why? Because Jesus is the good man. Jesus is the good man who is filled with love and compassion. But Pharisees, on the other hand, oh, they are proving to be evil. So they bring out of their evil treasures evil. And he says, the evil man 
brings out of his evil treasure that which is evil. Notice this repetition, good, 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 evil, evil, evil. What is brought out is just indicative of what's in. I mean, we've seen Pharisees, right, and their values, what they value. We study through Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus here says that, you know what? Pharisees, they value, above all else, human recognition They value human applause. That's what they value. External religion. External religion. Therefore, he tells them, right? He tells his disciples and he tells the people, right? When you give, when you pray, when you fast, do it radically different from the Pharisees because Pharisees, when they give, when they pray, when they fast, they only do it in the way to draw attention to themselves, not to God. They pretend to be holy. They go to church. They do things that seemingly classify them as belonging to God. But clearly, Jesus says, they're actually are of the evil one. Because they see this miracle and instead of giving Jesus the glory and instead of seeing, yeah, everything that we've been studying for decades and teaching our people, it's pointing to the fact that this man is the Christ. They turn around and they call him evil. They blaspheme the spirit by whom Jesus is anointed. Beloved, a man who is right with God a man who has confessed his sins and has sought the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, that man has good treasures within himself because he's following in the footsteps of Christ. A man who values Christ will store things that honor Christ. And when that man is rattled, when that man is squeezed, he will speak that which brings honor to Christ. When he sees God on display through something like this, He will not turn around and call it evil. He will praise and worship Christ instead of putting spotlight on himself. Because that's what the Pharisees are doing. Will this man do things perfectly? Absolutely not. Kirill read from James chapter 3, where he says that if one can control his tongue, that man would be a perfect man. There's only one perfect man. There's only one good man, and that is Jesus Christ. But a good man is a man that bears good fruit. And in the context of Matthew, when Matthew talks about bearing good fruit, beginning with John's rebuke of the Pharisees in, John, or, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, 7 through 10, Matthew's definition of bearing fruit means having a repentant heart. How do you bear fruit? You repent. You trust Christ. So when you blow it, ask yourself, do I confess it to my father? Do I admit my sin? Do I go back to those that I have injured with my words or to those who saw my failure and ask them for forgiveness? Do I seek to make things right? Is that the disposition of my heart? What I do after I sin reveals what's in my heart too. Why? Because of what you value. Do you value your savior? Right? Therefore, you're going to act accordingly. 
Jay Sidlow, he once said, one of the first things that happens when a man is really filled with the Holy Spirit is not that he speaks in tongues, but that he learns to hold the one that he already has. Sort of tongue-in-cheek. But that's true, right? Our tongues, friends, they give evidence of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Or it gives evidence to the opposite, the lack of it in unbelievers. So what do you value? What are your words declaring? Are you confessing Jesus as Lord? And if so, is your tongue controlled by the truth of his word and his commands? To confess him as Lord means you come under submission of Christ so that you speak that which brings glory to your Lord. As a slave of your master, master tells you what to do, and therefore in order to bring glory to your master, you do what you're told. And as Christian who is submitted by the leading and through the power of the Spirit to the Lord, you will do your tongue and your deeds will be controlled by that. Oh, it's so important for us to consider this. And I know for youth, when it comes to tongues in particular, right, this is a very vulnerable area. I know it was for me, still is in in many cases. Students, how do your words with your friends in private, not here, in private reflect your heart? How do your words about your parents when they're not around, reflect the state of your heart. The call here is for us not to waste this opportunity to see where you stand before the Lord this morning. What's in your storehouse? What do you value? Does your mouth bring forth good things and so prove that you are drawing these things from a well where good and healthy and godly treasures are stored? Church, this much is clear from Jesus' passage here. Your words display your heart and they declare your values. So as he challenges the Pharisees, so he challenges us this morning. We must examine our hearts. But Jesus is not done here. There are two more verses as he concludes his dialogue with the Pharisees. Two more words. We must examine our hearts because in the final two verses of our passage, Jesus gives us a great motivation to test ourselves, which brings us to the final point. Your words disclose your destiny. They disclose your destiny. But I tell you, but I tell you. Every time you you come across this phrase, truly I say to you, or but I tell you, You better pay attention. You better pay attention. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for in the day of judgment. I mean, consider the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here. No doubt the Pharisees here, they thought that there are words that matter and there are words that don't. It doesn't matter what you say. There are two categories. Remember in Matthew 5, as we studied verses 33 through 37, they thought, for instance, that as long as they didn't swear by certain things, like as long as I didn't swear by the throne of God, or as long as I didn't swear by, you know, the city of God, Jerusalem, right, that that my swearing ultimately doesn't matter. 
Well, Jesus says, whoa, 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 not so fast. Every careless word, every careless word. So he goes even beyond what they just said here right now. Every careless word will be accounted for. This word careless here is, is, um, can be otherwise translated as useless or worthless or unproductive. Every word, all 16,000 words that you utter a day will be accounted for every thing. The Pharisees, they uttered the most offensive and insulting comments towards Christ and the Spirit. Yet, Jesus wants all his listeners to know that you don't have to blaspheme the Holy Spirit to be summoned to court. You will be summoned no matter what. So remember that God takes note of every word. Every single word. And that should grab our attention. James After he wrote James 3 in James chapter 5, verse 9, he says this, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's writing to believers. Brethren, don't grumble against one another. Take account, take notice of what you're saying to one another, behind one another's back, because the judge is standing at the door. He is declaring in advance that people will be required to give an account for every word they speak on that great day of judgment. And then in verse 37, he says, for by your words you will be justified or condemned. And that brings us to brings a question, right? It raises a question. Is Jesus telling them that their justification or their condemnation is based on their works? The operative word here is based. Is our justification, is their justification based on their words? Are they saved by their words and deeds? Well, we know from the rest of scripture, no. But he wants to highlight the danger right? Our words provide a reliable evidence of whether or not we have been saved and transformed. How you speak of Christ, first of all, reveals whether you love him, whether you value him or not. And so he is saying here, because you deny the power that is operating in me, because you're denying me as your Messiah, you will be condemned the speech of the believer, the speech of the saved will be coming out of a heart that's been recreated, right? Because Christians have a new heart with new set of affections, new sets of values. Trusting and and valuing Christ will produce good fruit, good works, good fruit. When the tree is good, then the fruit is good. So then your condemnation or your justification ultimately depend on whether or not your heart has been transformed. Your words today disclose your destiny. The Pharisees, they proved to have unrepentant, hard hearts because they did not know Christ. They did not honor him as Lord. And so I love what D.A. Carson, as he concludes this section, I love what the point that he brings out. He says this, it is not 
he, Jesus, who is being assessed when men ask, could this be the son of David or utter blasphemies? It is they who are being assessed and their words will be judged. It's almost like man here, the crowds in verse 23 and the Pharisees in verse 24, they're judging Jesus and Jesus turns it around and says, no, 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 you will be judged. They proved to be of another father because of their words, which they continued to speak. I want to remind you that this is not the first time they said what they uttered in verse 24. In chapter 9, they repeated word for word exactly the same phrase, that this man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. They've been saying this. In fact, in, in chapter 9, When they mention this in verse 33, Matthew says the Pharisees were saying an imperfect, which which goes to communicate that it wasn't just a one-time occurrence. It was continual habit. They went around and every time Jesus did something, they said, no, no, it's not of God, it's of devil. It's not of God, it's of devil. It's not of God and of devil. And in Matthew 12 here, Jesus just brings it. It culminated in his here, condemnation. Enough is enough. You've crossed the line. It's not just slip of the tongue. It's your heart. It's the state of your heart. You know, most people today think that their heart is okay. They just struggle a little bit with their tongue. Jesus says, your struggle, you struggle with a tongue, not because of your tongue, but because of your heart, because your heart is not okay. You haven't yet moved from the dominion of the devil into the kingdom of God. That's why there's this issue here. They can't acknowledge Christ because of the evil of their heart. So the call here is repent, believe. Let the Lord cut down that bad tree and plant a new one, a tree that values Christ. Your words display your heart. They declare your values. They disclose your destiny. Beloved, the point of the passage here for all of us is not to invite us to reform our dirty mouths. Right? The answer is not, you know, polish your speech so that you could stop gossip or you could stop lying. The point is to persuade us to call on the Lord. That's the point. Call on the Lord. If we come to Christ, confess that we are sinners who need to be saved and cleansed by his blood, then, as John says, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. If you're not a believer, there is no amount of effort or resolution that you can, right, offer to keep your heart from condemning you. There's nothing you can do but only the grace of God in Christ can change your heart. And so the call is to call out to him. The offer that Jesus gives in chapter 11, come to me, come to me, is still out. Call on him. He will save you. He will transform your heart so that you might value Christ and have a new treasure of words that please him. But for the believers here, having trusted Christ, the call for us is to thank him 
again and again. Praise him for changing your heart. And as Paul later on writes, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Here's the call to believers. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that you will give grace to those who hear. So that you will give grace to those who hear. That's for the believer. Ask yourself, do my words extend God's grace to others? Do do they invite people to believe and to behold Christ? Because that's what should characterize our hearts because we are supposed to be good trees recreated in the image of Christ. And so the call for those who do not know Christ, for those who are like the Pharisees, to repent, to believe and confess Jesus as Lord and you will be recreated. And the call for us is to strive to value Christ in our hearts so that our words might become words of grace that they may minister Christ to one another. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the clarity of your scripture. We thank you that you truly create all things new. Oh, Father, I pray that many in this room who do not know you, who may be hiding under this veneer of religiosity, hypocrisy, but know deep down that they don't value Christ. I pray that that would be exposed. I pray that, Lord, you would motivate them to come and to confess Christ, to repent of their sins so that they would be made new and so that they would bear good fruit. And I do pray for us, those who know Christ, that we may continue to behold him, that we may continue to believe in him, that we may continue to abide in him so that our hearts would be full of that which Christ values and so that we would offer with our mouths that which pleases Christ, which points others to him, that which ministers grace. Only you can do this transformation and continue to do that in our hearts. We pray We rely on the Spirit. Help us to see that we're needy and help us to see that only Jesus is that good man, to cling to him. We ask in his name, amen.